Hi everyone, hope everyone is having a great week. We are super busy over here at day one gearing up for Canadian Infertility Awareness Week, which is April 24th to the 30th, if you don't know. Uh, we have some exciting things going on and a fun announcement coming out by the end of this week, so stay plugged in to learn more. Let's talk about this episode. We are speaking to Baden and Zane Colt all about surrogacy. They are just the perfect duo to speak to this. Uh, from the start, they knew that if they wanted to bring a baby into this world, it would need to be through a surrogate. But like most, they didn't understand how intricate uh, matching with a surrogate would actually be. We talk about the process of surrogacy and how they actually went about matching with one. Actually matching with two. Baden and Zane are fun, authentic, upbeat, and straight shooters. They have a positive attitude matched with some realism on what this really all takes. From the start, you will feel their energy and just want to be their best friends. I know that's how I felt. And if you want to learn more about them and follow along on their journey, you can on Instagram at NotMyTummy or check out their blog, NotMyTummy.ca. Their episode is entitled A Trust Fall because that's really what surrogacy is. You're just having that that fall and trusting that whoever is going to hold the most important thing you've ever had in your life is going to um, catch you. Uh, and Baden does such a beautiful job explaining that in this episode. So let's get it going. This episode is powered by Twig Fertility, Toronto's newest fertility clinic. Twig has reimagined every aspect of the clinical experience to be more thoughtful, more personal, and more comfortable for you. With a brand new state-of-the-art on-site embryology lab designed to achieve the best possible outcomes, Twig's full suite clinic provides a more integrated approach to your care at every stage of your journey. To learn more or book your fertility consult, go to www.twigfertility.com. Two years ago, at six months pregnant, we lost our baby girl to an undetected external infection. And what has followed took us down a path we could never have predicted. You know, I was used to getting pregnant quickly and unassisted. The infertility journey came as a surprise. No one talked to me about getting my ovarian reserve tested. You know, no one told me that just because I got pregnant easily with my first and my second, it, it didn't mean that I could expect the same with my third or fourth for that matter. I thought IUIs were a for sure thing. I thought IVF was a one month process and that that's just the physical part. All these assumptions were incorrect, but why would I know any better? I'm Emily Getz, and this is the Day One Podcast, a show dedicated to the unspoken side of fertility. Here I share my story and bring together moms, dads, parents to be, doctors, specialists, and healers to help break stigmas, normalize the conversation. Let's bring education to the forefront and most importantly, build a community so the journey doesn't feel so lonely. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having us. Let's kick off um, just on like your story in terms of when, when were both of you like, we're, we're ready for three. We've done a solid two, two family run and we want to add in. Well, I'll, I'll kick it back really far. The very first conversation we had about kids was our first date. I was 18. Zane was 20. Um, and so it's been about 10 years since then. 
So this has been on our radar forever. And not only did I, you know, we both said right from the beginning that we wanted kids. I told him from maybe date one or two that I wasn't sure I could carry. So it's something I kind of dumped on my potential mate really early. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know you guys were together that long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been. Yeah, we're coming up on 10 years in June. Um, but COVID's pushed our, our wedding date back a number of times. Uh, so we get to start back at back at zero again um, uh, later this spring. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've always grown up with the philosophy of, of dating to be serious, to find a partner. And so when we first started dating, we, we weren't really messing around. Well, we weren't really messing around in terms of not finding a... <laughs> oh, you were messing around, just not in terms of... <laughs> yeah. Well, we were quite serious in terms of our end goals. And so... Um, we put politics, religion, kids, lifestyles all out there and the conversation lasted for hours and, and we clicked. Um, I mean, maybe should probably go into a little bit more context as to, as to what, you know, what our situation is and what brings us to you. Yeah. So how did I even tell someone on a first date that I didn't know I could carry when I was 18? How do you get to that conversation? Um, it started when I was 14. I was diagnosed with epilepsy and I was put on a whole bunch of different medications with varying degrees of, of not success. They were not successful to start with. Um, and ultimately the only medication that would control my seizures is completely not pregnancy safe. Um, and I knew from a pretty young age, so around 16 when I was on that medication, that um, it was going to be an uphill battle if I did want to carry and it would mean switching medication. We did try that a few years ago to see if I could, could make that happen. Um, it just did not work out and we had to put my health first. Um, and that really left, um, you know, we still wanted to have a biological child. And so that left surrogacy as, as the option. Zane was super supportive from the very like beginning of that. Um, both of our families, we've been very lucky. Everyone has been incredibly supportive. Our friends, um, certainly we got a lot of questions and a lot of, um, I don't really know what that means for you, but good, good job and, and we'll be there for you. Uh, <laughs> but that's really, it started a long time ago. Wow. It's, you know, it's so brave of you to be on a first date too, and just put that on the table, which is a, like a testament to the chemistry. I'm assuming you guys had like off the gate, you know what I mean? To have a safe space where you're like, you know what, like, this is the deal. And I'm comfortable sharing this with you. Um, I can already like tell talking to you guys how close that is. And, you know, it's also like a rarity in fertility to know, like off the that, that you're like, okay, this is sort of, this is going to be our journey to the baby. Um, and it's, it's a little bit of eyes going in eyes wide open, I think on one side, but I think when you say surrogacy, you assume that, it, I, okay, I'm putting words in your mouth. Let me pull back. <laughs> I'm going to say that I assume before I was in all of this, that you pick your surrogate, you pay, you do your thing and you move on like that. That's it. Like it's a pretty turnkey experience. Is that what you felt like when you were like, Oh, I can't carry, but whatever, we're going to find a surrogate and that that'll be fine. In, in many respects, I think we were led to believe that that's 
kind of how easy it would be, right? Not, and we knew there'd be emotional challenges for us and particularly for me in watching someone carry and having to come to terms with that. Um, but I, I didn't have any idea how involved the process would be and just how unique surrogacy is in Canada as opposed to everywhere else in the world. That stands apart in a way that um, the last year has taught us a lot. Can you guys talk to me about like surrogacy in Canada compared to, you know, the rest of the world? Yeah, um, certainly we we look to case studies in the in the states being the most common. And the biggest difference between the two is that surrogates uh, are not compensated in Canada. So you can reimburse for expenses and there's 14 different categories of expenses, things like mileage to and from doctor's appointments, um, uh, for prenatal vitamins and medications, some maternity clothing, uh, some food, you know, because there's an increase in intake in calories, uh, childcare expenses as they pertain to the pregnancy, but there's no profit in it. Um, and all of those things that I said need to have receipts attached to them. So when a surrogate in the States, it's very common in military families, for example, while someone is serving overseas, um, their spouse is at home and they can make a little bit of cash uh, on the side um, family, supporting the family uh, by by being a surrogate uh, um, and having a flat rate of $40,000 uh, compensation. And that is a one way ticket to include everything um, this, you know, in Canada, you need receipts. Um, and it's been that way for many, many years. There's different conversations uh, in terms of uh, what's going on in Ottawa right now about changing those rules, but uh, for for right now, that's that's what the the plan is. Um, the other, you know, and and by by not being uh, by not compensating, the the surrogate has to be doing it for altruistic reasons. And you know, you talk about watching the Bachelor, seeing that they're in it for the right reasons, and and this is precisely that. There's no financial gain. There's no monetary gain. They're really there because they want to help uh, build a family. Uh, and what we've seen is surrogates can come to it for religious reasons uh, or come to it because they just love being pregnant and pregnancy has been really, really easy for, pregnancy has been really, really easy for them. And so they just want to uh, feel that way again, even if they're not gonna be building their own family and paying it forward. And so, um, we're fine with someone who's in either camp and we are, we're really happy with, uh, with this model because we just know that, that people are very, very genuine and it might be harder to find someone that way, but I'd rather pick, um, taking the time to find someone and having the right person than someone in the States that, that also, you know, is, is profiting off of it. Or even there's been so many horror stories right now of people who've gone to the Ukraine for surrogacy. It's in terms of European countries, it's one of the most friendly for fertility treatments and for surrogacy for, yeah, for heterosexual couples. Um, but of course it's very hard to, to get your surrogate out, to get your embryos in. Um, to, and there's a lot of uh, third-party agencies involved in brokering those uh, things and, and you worry of course about the uh, exploitation aspect and 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 to make sure that everyone is, is safe and healthy in the process. Ugh, it's like I'm like oh you know it is it's a lot it's a lot and so you guys I, 
how long ago did you say, okay, like we're we're ready. We want to pull the trigger. We want to start this process. So we started the research um, maybe a year and a half ago and realized quite quickly that it was going to be a longer process, a much longer process than we thought. Or actually maybe even longer than that um, is when we met with our first fertility clinic. We're now on clinic number two. Um, I started getting on a, a wait list for funded IVF four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, and just my name never got pulled. Ultimately, I found out um, after sitting on a wait list for several years that uh, I didn't actually qualify for funded IVF myself. Um, the way that it's set up when you have a surrogate is that your surrogate's name is listed as the patient and that individuals in Ontario get funded IVF if medically necessary for themselves and once per lifetime to act as a surrogate. But women who are going through any kind of medical infertility can't actually access that funding on their own. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know um, that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really clear to the doctors at first, which is why we were able to sit on that wait list for a couple of years. It was only when we started getting more serious and thinking, you know, we see this happening in the next year or two. They're like, oh, you you won't have to you have to find the surrogate first anyway. What are you doing waiting on here? Like, well, why didn't you tell us this a few years ago? And and so yeah. there's a lot of that misinformation, whether it's the fact that the Ontario Fertility Program funding is, is so new in terms of government funding and and the the information that needs to trickle down to the uh, to the clinicians themselves um, or the things just start changing so quickly. Uh, you know, once our name was almost ready to be called in that first clinic, they changed the format of the wait, wait list from a ranked system to a lottery. So our name got put back in the hat and we had to wait for it to get drawn out of the hat. So every clinic can structure their wait list differently. And, and uh, you know, like with any fertility treatment and, and infertility challenges for Canadian couples, so there's a lot of waiting and a lot of costs involved. So the long winded way of saying um, about a year ago, uh, January, it was our New Year's resolution during COVID to say that we need to start to kick up our surrogacy search uh, into high gear. And we started for a couple of months on our own, just asking friends and family, making a post and putting it online. We're, we're big sharers and we're not afraid to put our story out there, which led to, of course, building a, a blog that Baden and I contribute to regularly called Not My Tummy, But I'm Still Mummy. And, uh, and then of course, a bit of an Instagram account and the associated social media accounts that come with promoting the blog, which was really there to keep our friends and family informed of our journey anyways. Um, that led to, uh, to finding our first surrogate in, uh, in October, uh, she, uh, and, and finding our second in, in January, January, February. So, um, walk me through the first one. So how did yeah, you find please. the first one? Please. So initially we started our blog and we started sharing things online and we had started to connect with people. We connected with some really wonderful other intended parents and surrogates who were already matched or retired from surrogacy to, to learn more about the process and how we could best um, position ourselves to, to meet someone. And, you know, not, we didn't really go anywhere at first um, until I convinced Zane to do an Instagram reel with me. And it, uh, we just took a trending sound and we thought, you know, 
I'll have Zane snap in place and overlay some text about what it is to be a surrogate and, you know, see if people will reach out for more um, information. And, you know, didn't really think much of it. Um, pressed publish. And within a few hours, it started to blow up. To this day, I think we've got over 700,000 views on that reel. Um, we had dozens of people reach out. Most were not um, qualified for surrogacy for a variety of reasons, either too young, too old, hadn't com finished completing their families. Um, but that's ultimately how we found our first surrogate. She reached out to us after seeing that video. And then what? Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, you know, now that we had our name, uh, not to do too much TMI, but Baden cycle started the next morning just by fluke. So we called the clinic and they said, come on in, you're starting IVF. We got one of the last funded cycles for the 2021 fiscal year from our doctor. Um, the way the funding works at our current clinic is it's first come first serve from when they get their funding in April until it runs out. And so it ran out around October, November. And so uh, Baden went to the doctor and came home with a bag full of medication. And we started just like your journey, just like anyone else's in terms of IVF retrievals. Um, we had uh, after after five or six or seven days, uh, we had uh, 13 embryos. We sent 11 off for testing. Two were not strong candidates. And we currently have uh, five PGT tested embryos uh, waiting on ice for us downtown and uh, waiting for the right person, uh, well, waiting for our, our current surrogate and the transfer sometime this spring or summer. I just got goosebumps. Um, first of all, like, it's just so amazing when you have to also consider surrogacy um, when I hear a story where at least the embryos <laughs> At least, you know what I mean? Like that process for you guys doesn't have to be more than um, that one round crossing our fingers. We certainly hope. Yeah, I mean, they do, they do say statistically you need um, you need one uh, one round per per kid. And statistically, it's, but, but we'll see. We'll it's three, you know, three embryos, three tested embryos per pregnancy. But with five in hand, you know, we're hoping that we can get two kids at least out of it. Ultimately, and that we'll be able to build our family from this would be the dream. The dream. Yes, 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 yes. And I see that for you. I've decided it for you. I'm not considered, I'm, that's, but good to know that like IVF and the meds and all that, you react really well to it. And like, and you have, you know, the egg quality to it. Like, at least you can check off the, like that box, which is great. Um, sometimes within surrogacy, cause then you're fighting against even getting the embryos before you even get the surrogate. So it's like, I'm just like, oh, okay, I can, yeah. I can relax on that. And <laughs> for so many couples, surrogacy is a last resort and first, and you know, they've already exhausted so much on their own bodies already. And so for us, this is our only, our only option. And so, you know, while, while Baden can't carry, there's not that risk of infertility, like you said, in terms of egg quality or anything like yeah. that. So we're very fortunate that, that the retrieval was so successful, even despite um, I'm sure Baden can elaborate, but it, you know, sort of, the retrieval is a fun on anybody and it's very hard on the body. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I just had to do my best to be a strong support, but, uh, it wasn't, it, it's not a fun cycle. Like it's not, it's not fun to go through. 
Oh no. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's like a whole three month roller coaster. Oh yeah. It took a while to feel like myself again. I hear you. I get, I get that. Um, and so what happened? You had this surrogate, this first surrogate and like, where did that end up? Yeah. So we're actually still pretty good friends with her. And I, I chat with her a couple times a week. We send messages back and forth or, um, you know, trade thoughts on, um, new fashion that's come out that we like to talk about. We, we developed a really good friendship with her. And unfortunately she had kind of some unexpected family situation come up, um, where she had to prioritize her own family, which I think is really important to remember that when you're looking at surrogacy, it's not just the surrogate who's helping you, right? Her whole family is involved. Um, and I think any intended parent has to remember that, you know, you're not just making an agreement with one person, you're getting to know the whole family and you get really invested. So when she needed to uh, take a step back for her own family's, uh, you know, priorities, um, we were completely supportive and, and um, you know, she has been our, one of our number one cheerleaders in, in our, our rematching process too. We, I had um, someone on with their surrogate when the surrogate was pregnant with her baby, which was really cool. The baby moved for the first time on the podcast. So it was really awesome. And they were together and the um, it's a gift from the family. Like that's what the surrogate was saying. Like, it's not a decision like for her, it's like her entire family gifted this baby. Like that was kind of her sentiment. And it's so true. Um, like everyone has to be on board and it's, and it's just families helping families. It's, it's quite beautiful. Um, so, so you, you're like, okay, I respect that, but I'm sure inside we're like, okay, we're kind of a little bit back to square one and having to deal with that emotion in itself. And so how did the second one come about? So naturally we were heartbroken when the first match fell through. And while we understood Um, these things are crushing. It takes people months or years to find a match. So we didn't know if this was going to take us two, three years to, to find someone again. Um, And, you know, how do you ever measure up to someone when you've formed such a great bond? Um, Essentially we knew we had some kind of a recipe for success with uh, putting this man on Instagram (laughs) So we, we see Baden, Baden, Zane got the baby. Like Zane is like, it's like so fun. Like that's going to be like a, you know, a pull, like part of the story that like, Oh yeah. It's so fun that that gets to be part of it too. Yeah. And you know what? I think we had a lot of fun with the second video that we made that, that went not as viral as the first one, but Um, basically we spent a a week after our match fell through kind of grieving it and feeling it. Um, and honestly, I could have spent longer in that timeframe, but, uh, we knew we had to pick ourselves up and keep going. There really wasn't another choice. So a good friend of ours came over and helped us film this video of, um, of us in the kitchen cooking and, uh, essentially like throwing flour at each other and really every kind of ridiculous thing you could do in the kitchen. Um, and thankfully the, the community of people 
we found online, um, surrogates, current, past, and maybe even future, um, other intended parents, influencers, uh, fertility therapists across Canada and the US, people just really felt for our story and shared it. And the very next day is when our current surrogate reached out to us by direct message um, and said, I, I don't even know if I qualify, but you know, I saw your video and I'm and I'm really interested in having a conversation. Boom. I mean, the yeah. power of social media, you know, like the, there are some really harsh things and hard things when it comes to social, but this is an example of the, the, the you know, positivity that comes with building a community and sharing your story and being open. And it's another sort of notch on the belt in terms of the reasons why sharing. And I know not everyone's comfortable sharing their story. Like we both, we understand that, <laughs> but um, when you do share, and I've felt like this with day one, it's like, there's so many things that kind of come back that you were completely not expecting necessarily. You know, I'll say we actually haven't mentioned it all. We are working with an agency and a lot of people do work with surrogacy agencies. Um, but we knew that in Canada, what you're paying for with with the support of an agency is not to pay for matching. You can't pay and you can't charge for matching in Canada. And so we're treating it as uh, a, a place to go for advice and for consulting and for almost a concierge service. Uh, but we knew that they're not gonna hand us a surrogate on a silver platter. And we had to do what we could uh, to put ourselves out there uh, in order to, to get the match that we want and, and to be our own best patient advocates. Um, you know, agencies offer so much and this isn't a knock against all, all agencies across Canada, but we can't say enough that if, you know, anyone with an Instagram account or a Facebook profile um, and a couple of cute pictures of themselves and their partner, uh, can put themselves out there. And, and the biggest hurdle, of course, is uh, being afraid to share your story or being afraid of what's going to come of that. But to know that there's such an, a wonderful community behind you and supporting you. And, you know, we've gotten our own set of nasty messages, um, but so many more positive ones. And it's so much more worth it to be that public profile of, of surrogacy and infertility uh, in Canada than, than to just feel all alone and, and wait for someone to come to us because I think we'd be waiting still and, and much longer from now if we hadn't done anything about putting ourselves out there. I to totally agree with you. And the more people put themselves out there, like it's just a cycle, you know, more and more people put themselves out there. You see people putting themselves out there. You see the success. You see what can come out of it through people that are brave to put themselves out and then putting yourself out there and sharing a story. It, it slowly won't become, hopefully, I mean, that's my mission is that it won't become as much of a scary thing. It will just be like, yeah, like surrogacy is an option. A donor is an, an option. It's not so taboo. Um, Michael, something I'm actually super curious about is like, what, how do you know it's the right match is, does it feel like dating? Like, do you get that chemistry like vibe? So we, yeah, actually we call it dating really. Yeah. Um, match dating or there's, there's different ways to put it, but yeah, absolutely. It is like going on dates. Um, and it's almost like going on dates the way that we went on our first dates where you have to put 
heavy topics out there from day one. And these can be all your deal breakers, right? Um, if there's a, I'm trying to think of examples, but conversations around, um, you know, if religion or politics is going to be an issue in your match, um, if you have to have a conversation, you well, you definitely have to have a conversation about um, what everyone's thoughts are on termination. Um, no one wants to have that conversation. You're you're meeting up, um, whether it's on Zoom or in person or a phone call, because everyone there is interested in in may, bringing in a new life, and no one wants to have these horrible conversations. But you have to have them. It's it can be uncomfortable. Um, so you you cover your bases like that, but then you also want to find out, you know, beyond the pregnancy, beyond the concept of this baby, is this someone that I can see myself having a conversation with? Um, you know, you're going to be linked for a long time, maybe even forever. Uh, certainly, this is someone who's going to have an impression on your lives and on your child's life. Um, I certainly think our children will will look at the women who carry them as, um, you know, a real role model as this is how you be a generous and kind and selfless individual. So I want to know that the, that the people who are going to be role models in my child's life, um, are amazing people. And that's how I feel about our surrogate and her husband and their kids. We met their kids and they're fabulous. Exactly the way that we would want to raise our kids too. Did you ever meet anyone and Zane was like, yes. And you were like, no, or Baden, you were like, I'm into this person. And Zane was like, mm. or did you guys almost feel like you were one unit and pretty on the same page? So there was a, a, a person that we were chatting with a couple that we were chatting with very in, in the beginning. And we didn't, we, we clicked really, really nicely. And we agreed on everything except termination. They were, she was very religious and while you know religion is a very important part of our lives and our community, it's um, uh, we were not making a, our decision on termination based on those values. And so we went for a walk afterwards, and I said, like, we can we can dial it up. Like, it's it doesn't have to be such a deal breaker for us um, because in the end, no one wants to terminate. Like, we kind of all feel the same way. We just in our core, we would want to retain the choice at the end of the day. And she felt under no circumstances would she be terminating uh, unless it was grave risk to her. But, you know, any issues resulting in uh, in abnormalities, she'd want to go as far as as far as she could. And and Baden looked at me and said, it's it's a core deal breaker like that is a core value and all things could go wrong stemming from that, stemming from not aligning on that thing. So, you know, while we both agreed she was a wonderful person and we still keep in touch with her, she follows our journey. Um, it's just not, you, you gotta line up on those core values. And, and if you don't, it doesn't matter how wonderful and nice they are, there's risk that things could fall, fall apart on other issues. So, uh, you know, we, it was not the best match for us. And, and I think we both mutually agreed at, at the time, that couple and ourselves. Um, but beyond that, you know, my advice is don't just take the first one that comes along because someone says they have a uterus in their offering. Like you really do have to find the best fit and find your, 
your your match soulmate, so to speak, uh, because you you want and and Baden was alluding to this earlier. You want to look at them and, and see that they're the parents that you want to emulate. At least in our case, uh, not being parents, uh, they are such wonderful people, and they do the same things that we do in the summers. They're going to take their kids. They take their kids camping. They teach their kids about financial prudence at a young age. They, they've told us a story that they set up a movie theater on Friday nights and they give the kids play money to buy um, fake concessions and at the, at the kitchen table. And like, that is really, really cool. And it's something like it's things that we wanted to emulate in our home. And so we look up to them and we feel like this is, we can be friends even if we didn't have this uh, connecting, connecting the two of us as well. I'm like, oh my God, I need to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's really neat. I've like, it's funny. I'm like, oh, I gotta figure that out. That's such <laughs> a good one. But it's so true. And it's like um you you following your gut in fertility, no matter the road that you need to go down, is I think the the biggest tool you have to figure out um and navigate through and then trust in it you know, and, and I think that that is, um, an example of that because it would be so easy to just be like, let's do this right now. Right. Everyone wants that fast track. Yeah. We can, we can certainly speak to the surrogacy element, but I imagine it's true for all, all couples going through infertility. You you lose so much control. You give so much to your doctors, uh, just blind faith and trust. And, and in our case, so much to, the person who's carrying our child, we're not, we don't have cameras set up in their house. We don't know what they're doing when we're not around. We're meeting a stranger and giving her our most prized possessions um, and our DNA and asking her to safeguard it for us for nine months. And and we only check in when we, when we see, you know, when we go on video chat or see her in person and all that we have to hope for the best. And so by giving up that kind of control, um it's it's a very strange concept and it's it's not it's unlike any other you know medical procedures that that exist you you really are putting so much faith in others and it's it it's always you're gonna always be a a little bit sleepless until the baby's in your arms and I imagine that's true for any kind of infertility I kind of think and it's hard because we're not yet at that transfer date but I kind of think that from the transfer date to when the baby's there, it will be like a, a nine month trust fall. You know, that moment when you're in elementary school, you're playing trust fall with your friends and you're waiting for them to catch you. And at that last second, it's going to feel like that for nine months. Um, and of course, we'll have those moments where we get to get together. We'll get together, you know, maybe we'll feel the baby kick and things, but um I really think that we've set ourselves up for success with the trust that we're building already with her family. Um, And trust is the foundation on which surrogacy is built. I think that is so well said. And you're right. They're like an extension of you, literally, you know? So um, yeah. What, What do you guys find has been like some of your hardest challenges through this? And are they the same or do you guys feel like they've been a bit different? Good question. (laughs) Um, I think initially my, my first challenge, and this is not one that Zane necessarily had, um, 
was probably a fear of how people would react when I said that I had had enough of trying different medications and different routes to try to carry for myself. Um, when I had to essentially admit to myself that I couldn't go any further and that we were going to have to do surrogacy, um, I had no reason to think anyone would judge me or would feel let down. And yet I still put a lot of pressure on myself. And I think that's something that um, intended fathers, uh, friends of couples going through this, pa parents, siblings, really no one other than an, than an intended mom by surrogacy could relate to that. Um, it's as, as uplifting as I've found many moments of this journey, that was a hard moment to say, I, I've, I've had it and I, I can't do anymore. Yeah. Just gonna, I just was going to say, um, it's grief. Yeah. And it's, really. and yeah. And I think that there is a moment in every fertility me medically inter in that in when you have to get medical intervention in whatever way that looks, mm -hmm. there is a grief that comes with that, that you have to mourn, you know, when you, when you've decided you're going to do IVF, it's like, you've, you're like grieving the fact that you're not able to do this naturally. Um, and so, and, you know, I feel like that in all these different steps, the way I've been in, and I've never really known how to name it before. Uh, recently we had somebody on and we were talking about grief and fertility and like, it's, it's just, that's what it is. It's like, you had to finally come to that and then almost grieve. Well, the concept of Baden having kids biologically is dead. So you're grieving it. Yeah. Yeah. But not everyone understands it. So I think it's like they, when, you know what I mean? Like you can't put your finger on it um, sure. because that's not like the traditional way of the society thinking grief is. Yeah. And, and there's definitely a piece of growing up and when you're a little girl, stuffing a pillow under your dress and saying like, look, I'm, I'm pregnant like mommy. And, um, and having these moments where you, you think that's what your future is going to look like. And you spend that, it's just a long buildup of thinking that that's so integral to your womanhood. Um, and so trying to unravel that and come to terms with it. And then even having a partner who is 100% on board, um, like Zane, he never wavered for a moment. And yet I still beat myself up over the fact initially that I wasn't gonna, that I was maybe taking something from him, even though he never ever made me feel that way. Yeah, that's true. Um, one of my uh, challenges, I guess, just happened a couple of weeks ago, we were chatting with uh, another couple uh, who we got to meet right around the same time that we started our own journey. They were starting theirs. Um, they found a, a family friend who was going to be their surrogate. They just had two transfers, both fail and are looking for another surrogate. The surrogate that they had found said, this is much harder on me mentally and physically than I was expecting. And, and I can't keep doing this. Um, so they're kind of back to square one uh, and they have their embryos, obviously, um, but they're looking to find a new, a new match. And I turned to Baden and I said, like, 
we've had ups and downs, but we are far from the end of the road. Like it is not smooth sailing from here just because we have a match that we feel even stronger with. There's, we haven't had a transfer yet. She, you know, we're expecting her to clear her medical, uh, but things can come up. And of course, then there's a whole pregnancy to go through. So we have these timelines in our head about when, you know, could we have a baby by next spring or next summer? Could we have a baby at the cottage the next summer? When will they be, you know, what year should we start getting on wait lists for daycare? Because apparently you got to do that three or four or five years in advance. <laughs> but Ben's dad is talking about moving back to Toronto and I'll do it during a pregnancy. And then when should I start planning on coming back to Toronto? He lives in, in Vegas. Um, we don't know timelines like this. Could, anything could change day over day, month over month. And so it, it was a bit of a sobering experience to realize that we are far from the end of the road. And so we just kind of still have to take it day by day. We're excited, but it's with a lot of trepidation. You know, I was talking to my husband about something similar and I was like, it's like a video game. You know, when you like play a video game and you pass a bad guy at the end of like a level mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my God, I just passed this bad guy. And then you're like, oh my God, there's like four more levels to get to like yes. the big bad guy. And like, um, and I was saying, it's like, that's kind of what it's like. Do you know what I mean? It's like the road, it's like you're playing a level and then you've passed the level and you're so pumped because you got to this like checkpoint, but then you're like, oh my God, I have four more checkpoints to go. And, um, and I just feel like your energy has manifested these connections with these surrogates and, um, because that's what it is, right? It's like, they feel something about the both of you and they've, and you've gotten two great friendships from those people. So it's like, you've kind of passed that level in the game (laughs) and which is exciting, but to your point, Zane, it's like, but now you have like four more to go until you've like passed the world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, um, I can totally appreciate that, that feeling of like wanting to stay positive um, but knowing that you still are on a ro- the unknown road, you know, nothing is until that baby is in your arms. Yeah. I think we've, we've, uh, kissed timelines goodbye, uh, to, a to, a, to a point. Um, I think there is something that any intended parent, whether it's through surrogacy or anything else can relate to looking at a calendar and instinctively knowing what nine months from then is. Um, that's something I think we've already been through. There was, there was one point that I, I used to say to Zane, maybe we'll have a baby by, you know, June of, of 2022. Well, we're, we're nowhere near having a baby and June is around the corner. Um, so (laughs) I think the, the sooner we were able to try to let go and we, I'm not perfect at it. I still think about, you know, well, how, how will this all line up and what might a maternity leave look like? And, you know, spending the time get bonding with baby. Um, but a timeline is something you can't really pin down. <laughs> I just got a bit of like goosebumps from that because I, I feel that so strongly of like, I, I said to Ev too, I'm like, I'm just frustrated. I'm going into like our third summer of like trying for this. And like when the weather gets better and um, 
things are opening up and whatever. It's like, I'm like, but I still can't feel, I don't know, like nothing feels carefree, hundred percent carefree, you know, like your mind is still, you can be as positive. You can be as lighthearted. You can plan the trips, but there's this like undertone of just that unknown that is cycling between you. And, um, it's really, it's hard. It's not, it's really hard to stay the course and to like, I, I can completely relate to that. What I've been trying to do a bit better for myself, which is a totally different situation than you guys. I can appreciate that, but is like, do the, like to plan without care, the care. Like, I feel like I'm like, I'm just going to book we booked a trip into in Mexico in January and I wouldn't, I was like in my head, I'm like, but I could be pregnant or we could have a baby and I don't want to book the trip. And, and I was like, no, I'm just going to live my life. And if we cancel the trip because of that, then that would be like the best case scenario. But you kind of, when you're in fertility and you're on a quest for a baby, that carefreeness is sort of not a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've always kind of got eye, eye on the prize, but yes. what I will say for surrogacy or, and at least for, for our situation, um, you know, we came into wanting to have a baby because we want to build a family. Um, and certainly I think the, I think of Zane as my family first and foremost with or without baby. And one way that I've almost seen a silver lining here is that I, I kind of think of our surrogate and her family as becoming like an extended family to us as well. So maybe 18 year old me was not envisioning building a family in that way, but it's, uh, it's definitely not a, not a bad thing. Uh, (laughs) we're definitely still gaining a lot of love and a lot of um, a lot of people around us who, who care, uh, that aren't necessarily the baby, but we'll get there. Yeah. To put it, you know, I, I respect what they say to put it a different way. You know, we, we've also built a, a wonderful surrogacy family around us of people that are going through surrogacy. We've made friends with so many wonderful couples that have all come to this Bain puts it as the club you didn't know you wanted, you didn't know you needed to be a part of, but you're glad you're here anyways. Um, and we've met a couple who not only did they, she, the, the, the woman go to school with Baden about six years before, but they lived in the same dorm room um, just six years apart. And there's so many weird coincidences where our paths have crossed with each other and, but for surrogacy, we would have never met. And, and so many other wonderful friends. And, and if, you know, like, like they said on the TV show, this is a period of your life for your friends or your family. And, and, you know, but for our surrogacy journey, we would have never met these wonderful people who are now part of our extended surrogacy family. It's like, it's so true. And it's, it's meeting people in the fertility community. Um, you kind of can look at them and like automatically get it, you know, it's like, <laughs> you're already there. So it's, it's the connections are, are, it's so true or so are the silver lining, I think in all of it. Um, my final question for you both, thank you so much for your time on this is what would be your 
advice for someone starting day one of their surrogacy journey? Yeah, I think it goes back to a lot of what I just said is, is look for community. You know, you're not alone. Um, there's so much available online. And if you put yourself out there a little bit, you're going to get mountains back in return. Um, you know, a, a plug to our own blog is we're here to support you. And so many others are here to support you as well. And so we, uh, you know, we don't know that, that you exist unless you reach out. And it, it takes a fair amount of bravery to know that this is the choice that you have to make to build your family. Um, but uh, know that there's, there's a strong community there to support you. Absolutely. It's, uh, there's a community that understands, um, that does not judge, and that is ready to support and uplift you and to, to push your messaging, whatever, at your own pace, when you're ready to share, when you're st- ready to start your surrogate journey and, and look for a match. Um, there are so many people who will share your story and amplify it and help you get there the same way that people did for us. Well, I can't wait to have you guys on and talk to you when you're holding your baby or when that day is approaching. I would love you to come back and for you and us to have the next level of the game be spoken about. But in the meantime, I hold that vision for you guys so strong. I really do feel like this is, um, you know, you have all of the sounds like you have all the support and resources needed to kind of get you to that next phase. And my fingers are crossed and I'm just, I look at both of you. I'm like, you're already parents to me. Like you already are there. So, um, I'm sending you so, so much love and just very grateful for you to share on day one. So thank you. Thank you so much. My mission for day one is to help provide support and new perspectives for those in the midst of trying to build their family. Plus, a bit of an educational kick to those supporting loved ones experiencing the struggle. But I can't do it alone. I need help to spread the word. So if you have a few minutes to share, write a review, or rate this podcast, that would be so appreciated. Let's all do our part to help shed light on the realities of fertility. Also, want to learn more about our memberships? Direct message me for a one-on-one connect or check out dayonefertility.com slash membership.